you know, every one of us has a thing. Something that we really love, something that we know a lot about, something that we really enjoy. On Wednesday night, I had a problem. On Wednesday night, I had a problem because Jared came into the building. And when Jared came into the building, Jared had done something during that day that made me very jealous. Jared had been to Lowe's. (laughs) But more than being at Lowe's, Jared went to Lowe's and was doing Black Friday deals at Lowe's. And although every tool that he named, I already owned, there was something about opening up yellow and yellow boxes that I just wanted to do. And so I was jealous of Jared at that point because I wanted what he had. You know, every one of us in one area of life or another struggles with just a little bit of envy, don't we? There are things that we absolutely enjoy, and because we enjoy those things, when we see someone else that's at that next stage, it's hard for us. In 1983, I drove a brand new car off the showroom floor, and it was mine. It only had like three miles on it when I bought it. In 1984, they redesigned that car. And so now instead of having a barely new car, I had last year's model. It is really hard. And we are very visual people, and so it's really hard. And one of the things that happens in the life of a believer because of envy and jealousy and that is it raises up this other emotion that is really something that we have to guard our hearts from. And that emotion is doubt. All of a sudden, when we see the, the, the scorecard of life, and we look around and we see how it's going, and it doesn't always feel like it's going in our direction, if we're honest, or it looks like maybe somebody else is doing better than us. And we start playing this horizontal scorecard. It can put our hearts in a place where we envy a little bit. And then without even realizing it, although we would never say it out loud to God, what we end up saying is, why are they doing better than me? What is going on? Why, why can't I have the experience that they're having? And then without realizing it, we enter into a different song. Have you ever noticed that most of our lives we can somehow denote by a song? But all of a sudden, at that point, we begin singing a song that would really be called the doubter's song. Now, i got to be honest with you and tell you that today, that the psalm we're doing is not a psalm of David. It's a psalm of, of his worship leader, which I think is kind of interesting. And in this psalm, we see someone who first of all knows the truth of God, but then starts looking around, and in the process of doing that, it raises up some doubt, and he has to deal with this this whole line of thinking that goes along with doubt. This whole line of thinking that goes along with just a little bit of envy. So, the, the King's Playlist today is Psalm 73. So if you can look it up in your Bible or on your phone or just follow along on the screen, and we're going to take a look at what I have dubbed the Doubter's Song. 
At the beginning, he starts by declaring this, Truly is God as good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he starts by saying, Truly God is good. And he goes on and explains to who he's good. He says, to those who are pure in heart. Now, when we hear the words pure in heart, we're thinking about somebody that is sinless, but that isn't really the idea here. The idea behind this in, um, in this passage is uh, the person that is totally committed. He's saying the person who's totally committed, and he describes that person as being a person that is pure in heart, but God's good to them. You know, and some of us have had this struggle before. Because when we think of pure in heart, we think of someone who's sinless, right? And we, we look at the times that we feel like God's just kind of good, or he could have been better, but then he is. And we immediately go back to ourselves and we go, oh, well, I didn't have my quiet time. Or uh, I haven't been as faithful in prayer. And we somehow make God's goodness based on our activity instead of just who he is. But he starts the psalm by making this declaration. He's saying, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure. But he goes from declaration to doubt. And when he talks about doubt, what he says is this, but as for me, my foot almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked." I got to tell you that sometimes on Sunday mornings when we leave here, I'll go somewhere else and I'll notice all these people and they'll be doing different things. And one of the jokes that I have in my head is when I see a person after church who's getting their boat ready to go boating, and I know they probably didn't go to church before that, I'll say this in my head. It's amazing what you can buy when you don't have to tithe. It's a dark spot, isn't it, a little bit? But there is this reality that this is what's happening, is all of a sudden, this worship leader, David's worship leader, started looking around at how things were going around him, and he was just like, hey, wait a minute. I've been faithful, I've been doing what God asked, and it looks like people do okay when they're not faithful. It looks like things are going pretty well. I want the things that the arrogant have. I, I, I want some of the prosperity that seems to come along with wickedness. Why do they get those things? And, and, and he's going to talk in a little bit about his own journey. But there is this sense that once in a while, when we look on the outside, without being able to understand what's going on, we have perceptions that are just a little bit skewed, don't we? Have you ever tried to talk against somebody's perceptions? Well, the way I see things is blah, 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 blah. Their perception. You say, no, that's not the way it is. And they're like, well, that's how I see it. Are you calling me a liar? And he goes on and talks about his perceptions. For they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. You know, we didn't used to be able to call people like that. But in that society, if you didn't do well, you looked a little emaciated. And if you did well, you didn't look so emaciated. And saying, look, they, they're doing better than us. 
They look healthier than we do. They, they don't seem to have any problems. He goes on and says this, they are, not, they are not in trouble as others are, and they are not stricken by the rest of, like the rest of mankind. It's like, they just seem to be doing better. See, there's this scorecard that we keep in our head. And it looked like they had everything in the W column, and they're like, what's the deal with that? The arrogant and that. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and violence covers them as a garment. In other words, the very things that they, they, they wear these things like they're okay. Have you ever noticed that on television and that, that oftentimes the people that are shown to be the bad guys are, are excited about it? They like being bad? That's what, that's what the worship leader was noticing. He's saying, not only are they bad, but they don't even hide it. They're proud of the fact that they're not good. They wear that as as a uniform. He goes on and says this, Their eyes swell up through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak malice. Lofty, they threaten with oppression. They're just not very nice. They are the bullies of society. And they're prospering. They have the 1984 model of the Honda Civic instead of the 1983. They're unboxing the new tools, and I'm using old tools. I'm renting their owning. They have a boat. I, I just used the church's canoe. You know, on and on we can go with these comparisons, right? And we look at that and they say, their mouths are against heaven and their tongue struts through the earth. They, they don't speak well of God. They have a language that's maybe even filled where God, instead of being someone that they love, is just a punctuation mark or an adjective to describe what they're thinking. And it says this, he notices this about people. It says, therefore, people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is their knowledge in the Most High? In other words, all of a sudden they say, and it looks like everybody else is drinking their Kool-Aid and following them and not saying anything bad about them and not saying the truth about them. And it seems like they're getting away with it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever looked around and it just says like, look, I am trying so hard to live this life of the narrow road and this acceptance and everything, and it seems like the people on the wide road are doing just fine. That's what Aesop saw. And so he summarized what he saw that day, and he said, Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. You know, this is always about stuff, and this is one of the hardest things about life. 
you know, George Carlin years ago did this whole thing about stuff, and he says, all of our life is about stuff. He says, we, we buy a house, and the first thing we talk about in the house is whether or not there's enough closets to put our stuff. And then later on, we add on to the house, and the reason we add on to the house is because we want to put more stuff in our house. And he says, and when we go away on vacation, we get out these special containers and we have long conversations and we make long lists about which of our stuff we're going to put in the portable stuff holder to take with on our vacation. And all of our life revolves around stuff. And for just a second, the worship leader was being distracted by stuff, wasn't he? And when all of a sudden he looked at all the stuff, he's like, well, look at those people and their attitude and what they're doing. And, and... they have more stuff. They don't seem to struggle. I had to save money to get my stuff. They just seem to go out and buy stuff. Even though They don't stand with God. They stand with a lot of stuff. And so now he starts taking a look at himself. And he takes a look at what's going on. And he says this, all is in vain. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. And wash my hands in innocent. You know, it's like, look what they got away with, and they get all this stuff, and, and, and I, I try to do the right thing, and I don't have much stuff. 1983 instead of 1984. His pessimism grows, and he says this For all day I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You know, I'm having a rough time. People are being critical of me. It's not easy. This is my lot. Do the right thing, and I am not receiving the right actions for it. In fact, instead of standing with me, people mock me and make fun of me and are critical of me. You know, I think that once in a while we forget that as children of light, we are an absolute annoyance to anybody who walks in darkness. You ever thought about that? They they don't enjoy that. And yet we think that what we should always receive because we're God's children is the favor of, of everyone. And the Word of God does not say that. If you take a look at the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes are kind of assuming that things are going to be hard, right? And we're going to struggle. But occasionally, when we look horizontally, we see that it looks like other people are getting away with stuff. Why am I trying so hard to do the right thing when cheating seems to be working pretty well? If I had said thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Now, I'm thinking these things, I'm writing them in a song, but if I said these kinds of things out loud very often, I know that not only would I be doing the wrong thing, but I would be betraying children and other people. 
You know, that's one of the things that is very challenging today. Uh, Rex and I were actually talking about it beforehand, that there is a sense that, that teaching of children is a big deal, right? And what does the Word of God say? That if we mislead a child, it's better to have a millstone hung around our neck and us take a little dip in the ocean, you know? That's the Word of God saying that we need cement boots, just kind of like the mafia says, if we treat children bad. And so he's living in this tension. He's feeling this pessimism. He's dealing with his envy, and he realizes that if he speaks it out loud too much, he could betray other people, and he could be a poison, especially to children. And so he's having a hard day. Have you ever had a hard day? Where you felt just a little bit pessimistic, that you started to doubt, that, that, that you struggled a little bit, that you looked around and you said, why is this at all? You know, I, I sincerely did the best I could. I prayed as hard as I could. I did all of these things, and it still feels like we're in the L column. I want to be in the W column. There are those moments like that when we look around and we see things horizontally and we begin perceiving things in a certain way and we feel that way, don't we? Instead of deep trust for the Lord, a doubt comes in and somebody comes and shows you their little bracelet that says trust God more and you just want to go, I've trusted God enough. I'm tired of trusting today. Because it doesn't look like it's worth it. That's what he was feeling that day. And he's a worship leader. He's David's worship leader. He should know better, shouldn't he? So how do we get our acts together when we feel like this? So here's what took place. But I thought, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. We're just worn out. And we, we just see, trying to figure this out, I'm trying to figure it out, and it's a wearisome task. I, one of my sons is very much an activist, and I love him, but he's always trying to figure everything out. And some days he's just exhausted by that. If you spend too much time watching the news today, it's a wearisome thing, isn't it? You know, if you spend too much time trying to figure everything out and try to figure out why things are happening the way they are and and figure out what maybe we did wrong or how we could have done different and and why does it seem that those who are sincerely against the things that we understand to be the truth are winning and we are losing? Do you feel it a little bit? That's where he was at and he was frustrated. He was frustrated because it was hard to be righteous. It was hard to follow after God. And it seemed easier not to. You know, the wide road always looks easier than the narrow road, doesn't it? He felt this way, but then something happened. It says in Scripture, it says, Until I went into the sanctuary... Of God, and then I discerned their end. Wow. Do you know why I thought it was so important that when we came back into this room, we worshiped? 
because somehow, I don't know what it is, but the act of worshiping God somehow sets our mind back where it should be. It's like a reset. It's like there's a problem in your computer, and what do they tell you to do when you're having a problem with your computer? The first thing you should do is you should reboot it. Whenever I've had a tool or anything that didn't work, the first thing that I've always been told to do is, did you unplug it and plug it back in? Well, the refrigerator is kind of big. It's hard to reach behind there. But somehow, by entering into the presence of God, God rebooted his life, and he gave him a different perspective. Whenever we get overly caught up in what's happening horizontally around us, we need to quickly go to the vertical place and say, God, this doesn't make any sense. God, I don't understand. God, what is the truth that your word says that even right now feels dim, but it's the light of truth that I must somehow use to mark this moment? And little by little, the, the truth that he knew started to flood in, and it began in verse 18 where he said this, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. In other words, they don't get away with it. They might for a time, but the reality is that what they're doing is a slippery slope. And you are the rock of my salvation, and you pulled me from that slipperiness, Psalm 40. And you placed me on a rock, and you gave me a solid place to stand. So that's their truth. More of the truth. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away and utterly by terrors. And we see this over and over again. We watch the fact that nobody gets to stay rich forever, do they? All of a sudden, there's a switch. Some of us experienced that switch with our, with our 401ks, didn't we? We've seen it happen more than once, where all of a sudden, we're like, dun, 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 dun. I'm going to have the most awesome retirement in the whole world. And then, switch! Boy, I'm going to be eating rice and beans during retirement, right? There are those switches. Like a dream when one awakes the Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms, or the word that we would probably use today as fantasies. Every one of you has stayed up too late at night. And all of a sudden the infomercial comes on and there's this millionaire who's going to tell you the secrets of how you can make as much money as he does. There's always those things. When I was in college, there was a book that I was told to read that would help me be a better leader and it basically taught me how to use people. The big concept, the whole book was find bright people and use them as a horse to ride to where you want to go. In other words, figure out how to manipulate and take care of people. That was a textbook in college. But we all know that you can't get away with that because it stands against God's word. When my soul was embittered, 
when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. You know, it started with envy for this person, didn't it? They were just a little envious. And then all of a sudden, they let their envy, they, they, they dwelled on it a little bit. And their envy turned to bitterness, you know? And then their bitterness turned to heartache. Well, well, here it is. You know, they started with envy. This is the doubter's path. We start by just a little bit of envy. We, we notice something. There's something shiny and bright. It's, it's, it's our squirrel moment. You know, we've been worshiping God. We've been focusing on him. And all of a sudden, there's this bright, shiny thing over here. Squirrel, you know. And just a little bit of bling comes into us. Something that somehow touches us. You know, if, if Camille would have come in and had a whole bunch of Monet that she sells and says, hey, look, Jim, look at all this stuff I got, I would not have been very excited about that. You know why? I don't care. <laughs> but when Jared, and then I saw the picture of him holding all of the yellow boxes on top of each other. See, that's, that's my bling. And that distracted me. And, and the next step from envy is bitterness, where we start keeping score. Hey, let me explain something. Keeping score is called comparison, and here's the truth of comparison. You will always lose with comparison. Have you realized that yet? If you do comparison, yeah, you might be better than some, like the guy that owns a 1981 Honda but you're still not going to have the 1994 one. There is a way. And so our hearts, all of a sudden, when we dwell on what we envy, we become bitter. And that does something to our heart. It makes our heart ache. And we start saying things like, well, I guess God loves them more than me, or maybe God's love doesn't matter. You know, we start, you see how the record just starts playing and playing and it goes from there and it goes to ignorant anger and then we're like, you know, you know, <clears throat> why did they get an I don't? You know, you know and, and, and do, you, do you see how it comes? I, I like the fact that, that when he spoke of this reality, he, he called it, he called it like what it was. He said, my heart was pricked and I was brutish and ignorant. Don't you like that? He was angry and ignorant. You know, I don't know that many angry people that think that they're wise. Most of them do. Have you noticed that? I'm angry and I'm wise. If you don't believe that, just, just watch one of the news networks for a while. They're angry and wise. And then it ends up with, I was like a beast. It ends up with ugliness. Have you ever watched a person down this path and realized how they even change? You've met the people that are at peace with themselves. You can look into their eyes and you can see their peace. You know what I'm talking about? And the beauty of who they are on the inside pours out, right? But you've also met these people, haven't you? In fact, if we're really honest, I've been these people. Where all of a sudden, I was distracted by what was going on horizontally. 
and I became bitter. And I became ignorant and angry. You know, there's a new form of counseling these days, and it's called coaching. And the whole goal of it is asking you a whole bunch of questions so you hear yourself instead of telling you what to do, which is mentoring. Mentoring listens to what you have to say and gives you advice. But I think that there are times that we need to have, instead of this honesty just in our heart, we need to let it pour out with our pen and our journal. We need to pour it out with the words, and we need to tell God exactly where we're at because God wants to do something. Here's the truth. Here's the truth that all of a sudden this worship leader remembered that day. Nonetheless, I am continually with you, and you hold my right hand. The first thing that we need to remember is that God has not abandoned us and that God is there. When you're doubting, it is so important for you to remember that because what we start thinking as we go down that path is we feel like God has left the building somehow. But God is there. I am continually with you and you uphold my right hand. Maybe the reason I can't see you is because you're behind me holding me up. The next thing we need to know is you guide me with your counsel. You know, the reality is if we're struggling and if we're dealing with the doubt that goes along with this, that we don't even understand that there's wrong thinking. But the Spirit of God can come in and it can remind us, well, wait wait a minute here, that's not right. Did you just hear what you said? Did you just hear what you thought? God will guide us. Next. And afterwards you will receive me to glory. You know, we got to remember it. We've already said it today. This is not our home, is it? But think about the home that God has been preparing for us. This world that we live in is pretty amazing. Built it in six days. In 33 AD, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm thinking that he's had a lot of time to prepare a pretty cool place for us, don't you think? And the neat thing about it is, is that he will receive us. The other truth is that God alone strengthens. And here's the reality. It says this. Who am I in heaven but you? And there is no one on earth that, that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. As much as we hate it, Paul had it right. In my weakness, you are strong. And some days in our weakness, we, we forget. We forget that God is still in control. You know, right now as we are, are waiting on the end of this election... It's hard to imagine that God's still in control because it seems like somebody else's, doesn't it? But God's word makes it clear that he will appoint and he will place who he wants. 
we had the joy of voting for who we thought should be best, right? But what if God has a different idea of what he thinks is best? We have to trust him in that. Here's the truth. For behold, those who are far from you will shall perish, and you put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Here, here's the bottom line. is Judgment is coming. People don't get away with anything. God always exposes the truth in what he thinks is the best timing for us to understand it. Because he is in control. For, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. We need to get to a point where in the middle of this world, where maybe we don't get everything we want, and we can struggle with the bling of some things, we need to realize that the most important thing is where we are tucked in, which is underneath God's wing. And we live in his shelter. I I think that each one of us at different points in our lives goes through these moments of doubt. For some of people, these moments of doubt have caused them to think that God would never be near and God doesn't care at all. And that's a lie. The truth is, is that God loves us very, very much, and he sent his son to die for us so that we could be very near to him. And if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, the lie that you might be buying into is somehow the lie of envy is standing in the way of the riches of heaven that are for you. You've somehow bought into that. And if you're a person that hasn't asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to tell you that your eternity is of greater value than your earthly existence. And you need to figure out not how to just invest in having the best retirement possible on earth, but you need to invest to have the most incredible retirement in heaven. And so Jesus is calling out to you today, and he's saying this. You need a Savior. Yes, you've done wrong things. Yes, I want to forgive those wrong things, but I can only forgive them if you ask. One of the great lies of today is that God loves all of us, and he won't judge anybody. That's a great lie. Because the thing that most of us live into and the thing that most of us struggle with is envy. And envy is when we are looking around and we're saying one simple thing. We're saying, that's not fair, they have it and I don't. But we need to realize that God's word makes it clear that not only is he loving, but he's fair. And out of his fairness, although he could judge us, He decided to create a way of justice for us, and so his son took the punishment for our sins. That's a great deal. But you can only have that deal if you personally ask him for it. You have to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. It's as simple as a prayer that says, Dear Jesus, please, I'm asking you to go to the cross for me. Thank you for dying for me.
I accept you as my Savior. I accept the riches of heaven that you desire to give to me. God, help me to not be distracted by prosperity in this world from all that you have for me. And for the rest of us, I think that this is the greatest challenge of the American Christianity. We have to fight materialism in our desire to want and to have and to get down on our knees and say, God, you are always enough. I probably have more than I need and I will not be distracted by what I want because it can lead me down a path of doubt. It can destroy my heart with bitterness and it can help me, it can make me buy into the lie that you are not here and you do not care, and those are not the truths. Every one of us is going to struggle with doubt in our hearts, and I'm thankful that God, out of love for us, will always create opportunities for reset, and maybe you need that reset today, or you know someone that needs that reset. So in this quiet moment, as Jonathan prays, let's ask God to look into our hearts and make sure they're totally committed to him instead of committed to something we want or some dream that's standing in the way of trusting him today. Let's pray.